This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Go into class. Hit the bricks. Sure that door's closed. All right. I think we call that a migration. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, it is on Christ, our solid rock, we stand. And it is in his name that we come to you through your word. And we pray that you would once again in grace show us that, that rock and that hope that cannot be moved. Show us the glory of the Savior through your plan of redemption, the power of his resurrection. And Father, ultimately show us the joy we have in you through him. Father, it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. We're going to be back in 1 Peter this morning. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles. As you all know, Shannon and I were gone for about four weeks. And one of the things that happened while we were gone is I began to recognize anew some of the things that I missed about our home. I missed the quiet. The house we stayed in was a three-story tall house built in the 1906 or something like that, and you could not sneeze hard or shift your weight without everyone in the neighborhood hearing the floor creak. I missed the dark. Our house gets dark at night. Chicago does not. There's a reason why you can see cities like that from space. It's because every light is on. It never got dark. And I miss the people. Every, everyone I ran into there was a stranger. Even the people that I was going to the class with, I'd only known for a couple of weeks. I missed all those things. Thank you very much. But that was just for a few short weeks of class. Thank you. (laughs) Keeping it real. That was just for a few short weeks of class. There's a a gentleman, a professor named Jonathan White. He's a professor, professor of American studies. And he wrote in an article in 2015, he titled, quote, Midnight in America, Darkness, Sleep, and Dreams During the Civil War. And in this article, he examined, of all things, the dreams of POWs, what prisoners of war dreamed of. And mostly he focused on the Civil War, but he looked at some of the other wars. Now, we might think that POWs' dreams are, are, are filled with nightmares, but that wasn't what he found. What White found in his study was that home is what consumed the dreams 
of prisoners of war. In fact, what he, what he learned from survivors was is that as soon as a POW stopped dreaming of home, he didn't survive long. Hope for home was the primary fuel for their survival. What about your home would you dream about? Last week, Peter called the recipients of this letter exiles. But they weren't exiles in the sense that they had been removed from their home. They weren't like the Israel exiles in the Old Testament where the the Babylonians came in and took them out of the promised land. The people Peter is talking to are exiles for a different reason. Meaning they're not exiles because they had moved. They are exiles because their home had been moved. Peter called them elect exiles in the, in the very beginning of this letter. Their, their home had been moved because they were God's chosen people in Christ. So their home was no longer here on earth. It had been moved to heaven and they had been left exiles. And that makes you and I exiles. If you believe in Christ, your home has been moved. Peter is saying anyone who belongs to God is an exile here on earth because their home has been moved to heaven. So, do you feel like you have been living in a foreign land lately? Is the sense that this is not your home growing? Is the feeling that you don't belong here, that you have less and less in common with the people you live with, increasing? Exiles by nature are excluded and isolated and different. Sometimes their desire to fit in can overshadow their, their desire to go home. But here's something interesting. 2,000 years ago, Peter already knew what Jonathan White discovered in 2015. 2,000 years ago, Peter knew that what exiles need the most is hope in home. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. This morning, I want to convince you that exiles, that's you, exiles have a living hope to celebrate, not to endure. Exiles have a living hope to celebrate. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now what's interesting is that the first thing that Peter says to these people is exiles need to celebrate. That's different. Is that the first thing that you would say to these people? 
Because that sounds backwards or at least out of order to, to what we might think they need. He just acknowledged that they're living as exiles. Rejection, isolation, ridicule, injustice were, were all regular experiences for them, yet Peter doesn't immediately jump to console them. Why is that? Because Peter knew that consolation wasn't enough. He knew that solace is not what they needed. Peter knew that they needed something better than consolation. He knew they needed celebration. Peter knows that God elects exiles. And those people need something that is so magnificent, that is so incredible, that is so amazing, that it overwhelms their heartache and difficulty. Something so incredible that in the midst of exile, they can't help but celebrate. Remember Paul and Silas when they were in the Philippian jail? They had cast out a demon from a young woman who some greedy men were using to, to, to tell fortunes. They didn't like that. And so Paul and Silas were beaten, put in stocks, and thrown in jail. And in Acts chapter 16, about midnight, what does Luke say the guards found them doing? Singing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that while Jesus was here on earth, there was something on the other side of death that was propelling him to the cross. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Listen, brothers and sisters, Peter wants us to be able to join our spiritual ancestors in the midst of our difficulty and cry out, not, not with woe is me, or why is this happening, or I don't like it, but with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of the pain, not in the absence of it. Having used a hammer for most of my life, I know how to cry out in pain. For some reason, though, when I cry out in pain, I sound more like Yosemite Sam or my dad, whichever one you want to choose. How about you? When life hurts, when things go wrong, and I don't mean like you lose your keys or, or, or you, you, you get a bad grade or you hit your thumb with a hammer. I mean when you feel like you're struggling to hold on to hope. When you see the things you hope in slipping away. When you see our country, your family, or your friends deteriorating around you. I mean when you feel like an exile, what do you cry out? And does what you cry out say anything about where your hope is? Does our cry say that we hope in Christ or that we hope in this world? Because Peter says in the midst of this exile, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and don't miss the punctuation, Exclamation point. So what is this celebration? Why does Peter call us to celebrate? 
Look at the second half of, of verse 3. Peter tells us that exiles have a living hope to celebrate because God caused it. He says, because God caused it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, when was the last time you can say you celebrated that God caused you to be born again to a living hope? I can tell you I don't remember. Let's make sure we know what, what that means, that God caused us to be born again. Flip backwards in your Bible to the left to chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, where Jesus is having a strange conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that he must be born again. But Nicodemus is struggling to figure out how he's going to get back in his mother's womb. It's a valid question, really. But look what Jesus says in, in John chapter 3, verse 3. He says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So just to be sure we're on the same page, Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom of God without being born again. This hope that Peter is speaking of only comes through being born again. Being born again is essential to this living hope that Peter is talk, talking about. Now, now, now slip down to verse 6. Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What gives, Jesus? Put yourself into Nicodemus' shoes. You don't even get the born again part thing. And now Jesus throws something about the wind in there. Wait, Jesus, what does being born again have to do with knowing where the wind blows? Well, flip one more page to your left to John chapter 1. He gives us a little bit of a hint here. What does, not, what does not knowing where the wind blows have to do with being born again? Look at verse 12 of John chapter 1. He writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So again, there's the believing in Jesus is the only way to be a child of God. But look how those children are born in verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. You are born again by the will of God, not your own. So, so, so what does the wind have to, be, have to do with being born again? Jesus is saying, just like you don't know where the wind is going to blow, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, you don't know either who God wills to be born again. John was on to something, and he, and he said it even more clearly in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
Now pay attention to the tense in this scripture. John is saying that believing comes after being born again. He's saying that believing is not the cause of the new birth. Believing is the evidence or the fruit of being born again. Everyone who believes has already been born of God. Being born of God is what enables faith to happen. So back to 1 Peter. Why is the first thing Peter does is cry out in praise after addressing these people as exiles? He's saying, listen, elect exiles, no matter what happens, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful or lonely or isolated you may feel, you have something that overshadows anything that man could do to you. God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, simply because of His great mercy, has caused you to be born again. He has caused you to become a child of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, listen, Christian, no matter where you are, no matter what anyone is or has or will do to you, because God has done this work through the resurrection, that's, that's through the eternal life of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, as long as He lives, so does your hope. And He will never die. God has caused you to be born to a living hope that will never die. Just because of mercy. We can stop there and no matter what, blessed be the God and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not it. Exiles have a living hope to celebrate because God, according to His great mercy, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He caused it. But in addition, exiles have a living hope to celebrate because God is keeping it. He caused it and He is keeping it. Look at verse 4. According to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Everything we know is perishing. At least that's the way my joints feel. I don't know about you. I am taking more pills now than I did 10 years ago. I'm fading. Everything has to be cleaned again. It has to be repaired again. Or it has to be replaced again. Everything has to be made new. Nothing ever gets newer. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about this cycle of decay. This, this Ferris wheel that you cannot get off. But Peter says that the living hope your God caused you to be born to is imperishable. We don't really have the ability to truly understand what that means. Can you imagine? Millennia after millennia. Every time you wake up, everything you own is newer than what it was before you went to bed. That was a trick question just to prove that we can't even imagine that because you won't go to bed. You won't have to sleep because your body won't lose energy. You won't decay. Peter says that the living hope your God has caused you to be born to is imperishable. He also says that it is undefiled. This is also difficult to, un to understand because the Bible defines defilement as being caused by sin. 
And sin is so much a part of our life that we can hardly understand what it means to be undefiled. What he's saying is the living hope that God has caused for you, it can never be defrauded or stolen or usurped. Nobody can ever do anything wrong to it. This living hope, there, there is no need for locks or police or ambulances. There is no sin. And, and it's unfading, he says. Pretty much God has caused us to be born again to a living hope that is everything this world is not. A theologian named F.W. Beer said this, and I quote, In language that is almost poetic in the original, Peter says that our inheritance untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time, is compounded of immortality, purity, and beauty. That's what God, just because of His mercy, has caused you to be born again to. Exiles have a living hope to celebrate because God caused it and because He's keeping it. He's keeping it safe for you. Nobody can do anything to it. And look what Peter says then in verse 5. It's kept in heaven for you who, so this is you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So exiles have a living hope to celebrate because God caused it, because God is keeping it, and a living hope because God is guarding you. Look what Peter has done here. In the past, God caused you to be born to a living hope. In the future, he's keeping that hope for you. But what about now? What about right now where I am here on this earth? God took care of the past. He's keeping the future. But what about now? Peter says, you are being guarded. Right now currently and continually guarded by God's power for your salvation. Guarded from what? We've got to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of these believers because there's something that, that seems to be in conflict with what Peter is saying. Our lives are secure enough that we might not grasp it right away. But Peter's telling people who don't feel very guarded at all, that they are being guarded by the power of God. Everything about their life is in turmoil and, and, and is getting taken and, 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 and their, their lives are upside down and he's saying you are being guarded. Every day they experienced injustice and ridicule and even death. So which is it? Are we being guarded or not? The answer is yes. It's just not maybe to what they might have thought. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Jude 1, 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless for the pres for, before the presence of his glory with great joy. 
Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And there are literally hundreds more scriptures like this. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Not only is your inheritance being guarded from corruption, but so are you. Exiles have a living hope to celebrate because God caused it, because he's keeping it, and he is guarding you for it. Listen to me, even from yourself. You can't screw this up if you are in Christ. God won't let you. If you are in Christ, God will not let what he caused lose their salvation. Let that sink in. If you are in Christ, celebrate that even you can't screw this up. That's why your hope is alive. Because God is keeping and guarding what he caused. What kinds of things do you keep safe? Keep important documents safe. Maybe we keep um, memories or like albums safe. We keep things that could hurt other people safe. Why do you keep those things safe? You keep things safe maybe because they're special, they're irreplaceable. You keep things safe because they're very important. You keep things safe so that maybe they don't hurt someone else. God's guarding you. Not because you're so important, but because Christ has made you important. God is guarding you because He wants to guard you from yourself. Christ has made you irreplaceable to God. Exiles have a living hope to celebrate because God has caused it, God is keeping it, and because he is guarding it for you. Now, before we wrap this up, I want to circle back to the beginning and ask you one more question. When I asked you what home you would dream about, which home were you thinking of? When I asked you if you were a POW and I asked you which home you would dream about, which home were you thinking of? Your home on earth or your home in heaven? Because one is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and one isn't. G.K. Chesterton said, Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. God has ordained that His people in America be sifted. A separation between who is His and who is not. For the exiles to be obvious, more clear, to stick out. Our culture, our community, our leaders, and even some of our friends. You might say this earthly home is quickly and violently turning against us. Do not be shocked. God told us this would happen. 
but we have a living hope to celebrate. A hope to celebrate not in the absence of difficulty, but in the midst of it. So I want you to try one thing with me this week. If at any time this week you feel like an exile, if at any time this week if you feel defeated, if you feel anxious, if you feel alone, if you feel let down or threatened or discouraged, even if it's because of something you did, I want you to do what Peter has said here And I want you to tug on the anchor of your salvation and see that that rope is still tight. That Christ has firmly planted in heaven and he's not going anywhere and you are tied to him. Remind yourself of the power of his resurrection in your life. And when that time comes, when you start to feel like an exile, I want you to repeat after me, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say it. That was so weak. It's an exclamation point. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is so much harder than it sounds. If you feel exiled this week, I want you to join Peter and force yourself to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to His great mercy, He has caused me again to be be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, memorize this verse. It's easy to do. It actually flows even in the English. And my call is that you celebrate your living hope when the darkness of this world throws everything it has at you. Because exiles have a living hope to celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sink this gift that you have given us deep into our heart. We need your strength, Father, and your power. We need your spirit to remind us that when matters of this life go down, when we get dark, when we are being fought against. Our reflex is not to think of you. Father, I I plead with you to to teach us and to mold us and to shape us. Put put your word into our hearts so that, that this week we can begin to practice that when we do feel the darkness closing in that we would say, Blessed be you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us feel, Father, the hope and the peace and the joy that you bring to us through your word, through the living hope that you have brought us. Let us feel the the power, Father, of, of of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what you have done through him. Father, thank you for this gift. Most of all, thank you for our Savior. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.